This is Jeannie Driscoll bringing you an episode of The Art and Soul of Healing. Today, we will return to California on the wings of Alliance for Natural Health USA to visit with Diana Nolan, RD, MPH. Diana is one of the leading integrative and functional medicine nutrition therapists and is a top educator. Diana is well known as being one of the lights in the field of lipid therapy. I'd like to thank Diana for coming back and finishing discussing lipid therapy in clinical practice. Welcome back, Diana. Well, welcome back, Diana. Thank you so much for coming back. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, in your chapter in the Integrative and Functional Medicine Nutrition Therapy textbook, you, it's called Lipidomics. You have a, a tools of the trade for lipid therapy section. Can you highlight some of those tools of the trade? The one that is most commonly available would be lab tests. And, but I think the important thing is to understand which labs are the most valuable to use. And in our previous session, we talked about uh, whether you're ordering RBC fatty acid analysis or whether you're ordering a a plasma serum. And it's important to understand what information you're getting from those. And the plasma serum is really about what your body has been able to absorb, digest and absorb from what you've eaten in, in probably the last 24 hours especially the last four hours before the lab test is drawn. And so that is helpful information if that's what you're looking for. But when you're looking for composition, you really want to look more at an RBC fatty acid. Now, I would imagine the gold standard is actually taking a fat biopsy, Mm -hmm. but that's not very realistic and mainly used in studies. So the RBC fatty acid uh, is the one that I think is the easiest to use, but I also ask for a lipid profile, a lipid panel, which is total cholesterol, mm-hmm. triglyceride, the HDL, LDL, and some labs will do a VLDL. And so those are important too, because you're understanding the, the ability of the liver to produce cholesterol And because cholesterol is an important component of the membranes throughout the body, and it also happens to be the base unit for all hormones, it is a very important part of the lipid family that needs to be looked at. And so, and it's interesting, uh, what I have found is the people that have the lowest cholesterol, total cholesterol, tend to have much more skewed RBC fatty acid panels. Hmm. And uh, we know, I know dietitians as of going through the hospital, where we would see most low cholesterols would be in the psych ward and in oncology units. Oh, that's so interesting. And so, and you can look at all of the uh, research, it's multiple studies showing that low cholesterol is associated with depression, mm-hmm. with mood disorders. And so, you know, you see a teenager coming in with a 90 total cholesterol, 
and he's depressed, mm-hmm. you know, get him some more egg yolks. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are clinical ways we can help modulate and someone doesn't have to live in that state. Mm-hmm. And so those two lab tests are really the ones I use the most. Well, what about the nutritional physical exam? What do you see in these types of Yeah, that's the second. Oh, the new new uh besides labs, you're looking at that nutrition physical exam in one of your most obvious fat composition uh tissues is your skin. So, when you see the skin, you have a big picture of what other membranes are doing. So you have somebody come in with, I've had a lot of bald men come in and they have just lesions all over their scalp, you know, and um, maybe rashes on their hand, you know, that type of thing. You know that there's a breakdown in the barrier structure throughout the body. And maybe it's focused on the skin, but you know that it's got to have some degree of effect on all membranes. That's so interesting. The other thing is you see this a lot in older people, but I've seen it in young people too, where you'll see hematomas. And when you see that, that is uh, little capillaries that are weak and are broken or are leaking. Mm -hmm. And so there's another fat structure that you can take some observation from. And and, uh, the first thing I ask if I see that is, are you on fish oil or a blood thinner? Mm-hmm. because the blood thinner will break down the integrity of the capillary wall and, and also fish oil will. Uh-huh. And uh, so there are, you know, you start to learn the associations and then in your investigative work of figuring out what that patient is and what they need, you start to add that all t- into the picture. Oh, that's perfect. Well, the other, there is one other tool. Okay. I like to encourage people to do. It's very simple and it's called a bioelectric impedance analysis. Oh, absolutely. And uh, there's more and more study being done on uh, one of the parameters that are measured in that BIA, Mm -hmm. especially if it's a full body BIA, is called the phase angle. And it really relates to the membrane structure. Mm -hmm. And it's now being used in, uh, I think breast cancer was the first cancer to be studied with the phase angle, but they're using it as a prognostic indicator at the time of diagnosis. If they have a very poor phase angle, it relates to their survival. Mm-hmm. And uh, the better it is, the better the survival. Mm-hmm. Or it is. Are you using BIA regularly? Yes, every patient. Okay, wonderful. Unless I do telehealth. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, we can't do anything about that. <laughs> but, but yes, every patient. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. so much information in a BIA. Right. Well, there's a comprehensive table in your chapter about key lipid imbalances and the association with acute or chronic disease. It's a wonderful table. Uh, this includes lipids and fat-soluble vitamins, as well as other key nutrients. Can you tell us about a patient who might have had imbalances, let's say with vitamin A, for example? Wonderful patient I'd had 15 years ago, and she was so excited. She was actually worked for Disney in the movie industry here in L.A., 
And she was so excited about nutrition and what it could do that she got a little online certificate <laughs> and, you know, really applied it. She didn't smoke or anything. So I hadn't heard from her for about maybe 10 years. She comes in. She says, Diana, I have fourth stage lung cancer. And I'm like, what? No, never smoked, you know. And so it ended up, she had almost negligible vitamin A level in the blood, vitamin A retinol. It's very important to measure retinol, not beta carotene. Mm -hmm. And when we did the genetics, now, of course, she needed, uh, I needed to do this adjunctively with her doctor who was treating her. Uh, But we looked at her genetics and she has this gene that about 45% of people so far, this is the statistic, about 45% of people out of European ancestry have an inefficient gene of converting carotenoids like beta carotene to vitamin A retinol. And we know that vitamin A retinol is so important for the lungs and eyes and Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and it's very important for every mucous membrane in the body. Mm-hmm. And so the immune system uh, really depends on vitamin A activity. So uh, we got her straightened out with her nutrition. She went to a wonderful integrative practitioner and she's now one year out in total remission. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Well, I love that chart that you had in the in your chapter, and that chart also discusses damaged fats. What yes. do you see when diet is predominantly damaged fats from processed foods? What do you see physically? Certainly here? dysfunction. Uh-huh. Probably the most common is skin, skin problems. The other thing is inflammation, because if you think about only the good fats are going to produce control of inflammation, then you definitely are going to have a problem if you have your body made of these damaged oils because they cannot function correctly. In fact, they become pro-inflammatory. So we know that things like we've discovered um, acrylamide and trans fats that are very pro-inflammatory. And they are prone to be in a lot of these damaged foods where they're using damaged oils, the high heat, the uh, frying. I, I, my son went to the Air Force Academy and I was so excited as a dietitian to go into the cafeteria feeding 4,000 cadets in one hour. Oh. And so I went in and the the, the food manager was taking us on a tour and he, we looked at their frying pan. Their frying pan was as big as a small uh, jacuzzi. Oh my <laughs> and, and I was alarmed at all this vegetable oil in there. Yeah. And I said, how often do you change the oil? He proudly said once a week. Oh no. And oh. so imagine three times a day they're frying in this, Oil, just the idea of how damaged it was, was Uh incredible. And so anyway, uh, we see that if you don't change those oils, you have a much higher risk of developing a chronic disease that Mm -hmm. has a lot of inflammation associated with it. 
You know, you're, you reminded me too that about these uh, laboratory tests for other nutrients. I mean, you mentioned some of the other nutrients. What do you routinely check in your patients? I would say other nutrients are a little more difficult to get tests on, especially if you're depending on insurance to pay for it. That hasn't been recognized as a great need. And so I start always with the CBC. Because one of the things we're looking at, some of the groups of nutrients that are so critical and, and you know, can change the, the, the journey of somebody's health is one of the groups is methyl nutrients. Mm -hmm. methyl, methylation is a mechanism throughout the body that many of our systems depend on. And so if we don't have these nutrients that actually promote good methylation, we're going to have a problem. So the key three, three methyl nutrients that you start with are B6, B12, and folate. And so everybody gets a CBC, it seems like, in a blood test. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at that, you can look at the RDW and the MC. V and the MCH, which the MCV is your mean corpuscular volume. And if you look at the hemoglobin hematocrit, that does tell you if they're anemic or not, mm -hmm. or, or hemochromatosis. But we, uh, we know that when we're looking at that CBC, that MCV and MCH can tell the size of the red blood cells. And if they're too large, the way red blood cells form from the bone matrix, they go through the spleen they, and they mature. I think I've heard about a week it takes them to mature to an adult red blood cell. During that time, if they do not have enough of the B6 or B12 or folate or all of them, they will become too large mm -hmm. or they will stay large. So if you see... Uh, MCV that's over 90, not, not still in reference, but if it's over 90, you know that it's trending toward being too large. And that would be a suspect that you'd want to look further for the B6, B12 folate markers. And if it's too low, there are two nutrients. If, if it's lower than 90 on that MCV, you know that iron or copper could be involved because they determine if it gets too small. So that's where I start oh, with folate B12, B6. <laughs> Very good. And then you also look at a metabolic panel. How do you use that? Well, in a metabolic panel, you're almost always going to get a total protein and albumin. So you're looking at proteins that are in the blood. In a total protein, you really never want it lower than a 7.0. Otherwise, your protein pool in the body is getting too depleted to do its job. And we know that proteins are involved in structure, but they're also involved in repair of tissue and all kinds of things. And so the other thing would be that we're looking at the, um, often you'll see the potassium and the electrolytes, potassium, sodium, chloride, sometimes they throw in calcium. And so you're starting to see some of these minerals. And 
really the metabolic panel and the CBC are so common and easy to order. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any physician ever has a problem ordering them mm-hmm. that you can begin your, your idea. Yes. And then also I happen to know that you use genomic testing. Yes. So do you, are you able to incorporate that frequently or? You know, about 20 years ago, I started uh, so with some of the basic SNPs were being tested by Genova. And I, but as I've grown in the field of understanding genomics and nutrigenomics, I realized there's so many more genes in SNPs and that there's such a synergism among SNPs. Mm-hmm. And fortunate for us, we are designed with a lot of redundancy in, in the body, the way the metabolism works. So we're finding that there are groups of, of genes that work together and it isn't so horrible if one is, you know, inefficient, if you've got a lot of the others that can pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. So um, let me see on the genomics. Let me just have an example of the most studied SNPs are the ones related to folate metabolism. Uh, yeah, of course. And, and uh, I used to just look at the two most studied ones, 1298 and 677C, but now we know there are a lot of others. And some of them, if you look at the research, are more associated maybe with B12. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, B12 and folate and B6 are really, they work together so much. And, and so anyway, I'm starting to look at the genomic profile of testing that I get uh, with a, a bigger view mm-hmm. of, of realizing there is redundancy. And, and then a gene doesn't tell you how you're doing. Mm-hmm. It just tells you the potential and right. how efficient you are. And then you have to look at markers that are going to indicate the function currently for the patient. Mm-hmm. I know how you practice, and I know it isn't always just about the nutrients. Uh, What lifestyle factors influence risk of lipid damage? I would say probably the key one is sleep and the quality of sleep. (laughs) That's so difficult to manage at times, isn't it? Oh, boy. And if you realize, uh, I know in our textbook, Integrative and Functional Medical Nutrition Therapy, there is a chapter on circadian rhythm. And there is so much coming out about the importance of sleep. And if you realize sleep can be actually described as the most anti-inflammatory thing you can do. And that's a big deal because all of the chronic diseases have inflammation that's out of control. So, and we do know that we're understanding some of the hormones involved in circadian rhythm that, for instance, melatonin, mm-hmm. we used to think it just helped you get to sleep, but now we know it has other roles of anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, uh, even helping you set your circadian rhythm balance throughout a 24-hour period, all, all kinds of things like that. So, Definitely, you can do a lot with good diet. You can do a lot with exercise. But if you don't sleep well, it could be a missing leg of the stool. Oh, absolutely. So important. And, you know, during this uh, shutdown for COVID, I have read some reports that people are really sleeping worse. Yes. I think stress. Uh-huh. 
And stress, of course, is tied in one. with your yes. rhythm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they all affect each other, but stress increases the immune response with inflammatory molecules, and it affects your thinking, and we are mind, body, spirit. Mm-hmm. So wrong thoughts and stress, fear, things like that will affect the physical, physiology, and uh you know, it's, this goes all around. We are systems biology organisms mm-hmm. where every system is affected by other systems. Well, I know, too, that you, you were talking about um, being out in nature and moving, that you try and do that every day. Why don't you ha- tell me a little bit more about that? Well, we are a, what is it, about 70 or 80 percent water? And so we have a lot of flow through our body of fluids. And there are many aspects to movement, but I would say physiologically, we've got to move. And if you think about what are our two main fluids traveling, circulating through our body, blood, Mm -hmm. the other is the lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. And blood has a nice little heart that beats your whole life (laughs) and pumps it pushes the blood and then it goes to little capillaries and feeds all the cells. But the lymphatic system, circulatory system is also pretty much parallel with the blood um, arterial system. And what is pumping it? It doesn't have a heart. Mm -mm. It has movement. Mm -hmm. So when we walk, when we move our arms, we are pumping the lymphatic system. Which is so important for cleaning us out. (laughs) Yep. And you know, as a physician in the hospital, over and over all the years I've been in hospital work, one of the first things a doctor says, if the patient is able, get up and walk. Mm -hmm. So you see these sick patients just came out of open heart surgery and they're getting (laughs) to walk the next day. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I mean, before, I mean, we both know in the early days of our careers, they were on bed rest for a long time. Right, right. Oh my but we know now that movement helps to heal and it gets those fluids moving. There is also the other fluid of extracellular matrix fluid that's sitting between the blood and the intracellular fluid. That's an important space. It is very important. And when you, uh, one of the biggest dysfunctions of that is when you see somebody with pitting edema of the leg or where the fluids are pooling outside the cell and it's a big problem medically. And so movement will help to exercise those valves in the arterial system and the other, but then the fat you eat affect that too. Because the, that fluid transfer intracellularly to the extracellular matrix, to the blood, and being in balance is really about the membrane being able to control the transfer of fluids in and out of those structures. Oh, that's and, beautiful. And, and the, the thing that uh, we really have to look at, it's nutrient-related, is the sodium-potassium pump. That is the thing that controls those fluids. And, and so what is the main electrolyte inside the cell? It's potassium. What's the main one outside? Sodium. Mm-hmm. But what controls that pump? 
What's the cofactor? It's magnesium. So if I see somebody in the BIA machine actually will look at intracellular water and extracellular water to help you assess that. So it's very, very um, integrated with all the nutrients, the structures, you know, to stay healthy, you've got to move. That's right. Well, I want to segue uh, into the dysfunction that happens with impaired lipid metabolism. Uh, one thing that we touched on that I'd like you to talk a little bit more about is mitochondrial dysfunction, because that's such an important organelle. Yes, it's where it's being revealed that it's probably one of the key players in every one of the chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. Mitochondrial dysfunction. And so there are a couple of things. I know in oncology, um, there was Dr. Hanahan and Weinberg in the year 2000. They described the big picture of cancer syndrome was there are about 11 key mechanisms that you have to look at. And one of them was the, the duplication of cells and where the mitochondria gets messed up because cancer, all of us, you know, are concerned about cancer because it's now actually just surpassed heart disease as the number one non-communicable disease. So if mitochondria are the first indication that you're going to develop a cancer cell, what, what's happening? And it's when the mitochondria, which is very sensitive to its DNA is very sensitive, its structures are very sensitive to oxidation mm. and damage by toxins. And so at the time of reproduction to a daughter cell, as we're always making new cells, if that damage is occurring, it's much more likely that you're going to have mitochondrial misformation or uh, not a good duplication, and that can begin the process of an abnormal cell. And like I mentioned, in the mitochondria is really one of the key players of cancer is it it's able to bypass apoptosis or cell death of abnormal cells. And so that is really the key player is cardiolipin, which is mainly in the body produced in the inner membrane of the mitochondria. And it's dependent on the fats you eat. Absolutely. That's so key. What it, so you need good fats. Could, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? That you can actually fix this? Well, there are so many kinds of diets. And I think the diet history, even a one-day diet history, is so powerful and often ignored. Oh, it's just a diet history. But when you look at it, you can start to see what somebody's been eating and where they might be out of balance. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how you can help them to change. Um, One of the things that uh, you can think about is, and it comes into good and bad, like good foods, bad foods, (laughs) uh, if you use that word. Uh, But say you have a person that is eating mainly fast food. Mm Mm-hmm. The fast foods are highly fried, so they're going to be heat damaged. 
They often have the processed oils incorporated into them as convenience foods. And so that person uh, is going to have a very difficult, uh, highly tuned function of their barriers, their cell membranes. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get them to change, we see it change. And it really, it takes about four to six months for the fats to change structure because of the turnover that it was that long yeah now we have the three areas of the body that have very quick turnover like the lung tissue our gut tissue three to five days Mm -hmm. we've got new membranes but if you look on average it's about four to six months and i I don't think you can include the brain it's slower than that Mm -hmm. but uh four to six months so you start to i like to let people know what they're headed into we need to change your fat structure. You need an oil change. And <laughs> it's going to take four to six months because, so, you know, if they think it's forever, they might not yeah. get too compliant. Yeah. Yeah. But if they know they can stick with it for four to six months and make major changes, they, they often will do that. Okay. So uh, we touched a little bit on neurologic disorders with your seizure patient, but we haven't really talked about Alzheimer's. So... Are you seeing the correlation of these damaged fats with increased incidence of Alzheimer's? Oh, very much. And in two aspects. One is just the structure of the brain tissue and the nervous system throughout the body, you know, having the right structure. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is you think about um, Alzheimer's, it's sometimes being called as type 3 diabetes. Oh, sure. And uh, so... There is a huge amount of uh, damage going on to the, t- the lipid tissues in the brain. And, you know, with um, it might be infection, their findings, uh, there's a herpes that is common in a, causing damage to the brain's neur- neurons and et cetera, and increasing amyloid plaque because of the infection. That's an interesting one. So, You've got maybe infection, you've got inflammation from toxins. Mm -hmm. Um, I have done some tests out of Europe that are epigenetic tests. And uh, I've had two different Alzheimer's patients get those tests, but there were different reasons messing up their metabolism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, BDNF is the main repaired uh, molecule in the brain. It was attached to aluminum okay we have always known uh even when i was in my dietetic internship i used to volunteer to go to some of the autopsies Uh and there was a doctor studying alzheimer's and we would find aluminum in those brains Mm -hmm. but nobody knew what it was doing and i'm not saying it always does that but for that patient Mm -hmm. it was impairing bdnf the repair of brain tissue to function Mm-hmm. And and then uh, there's other things going on. If you think of somebody with an infection, it is it is a big risk factor for developing Alzheimer's. What is it that helps heal infections in the body? Icosanoids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We this is more recent that we started to understand the idea that. It isn't just the two essential fatty acids that produce GLA and arachidonic mm-hmm. acid and EPA and DHA. They go on if everything's correct. You have the right nutrients, 
the right environment in the body, they go on to produce some molecules called pro-resolving mediators. Mm-hmm. And they are what, it's one thing to cut down the inflammation, but that doesn't bring you back to restore wellness. <laughs> and that's what those uh, pro-resolving, uh, specialized pro-resolving mediators do, those SPMs. They actually bring you back to wellness. So a person with Alzheimer's, you start to think, do they, are they having the ability to produce SPMs? Mm-hmm. Because they would have gotten rid of the infection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are never meant in a good design and a healthy body to keep infections around forever. Mm-hmm. They should be resolved. Absolutely. And I know you've treated some patients with Alzheimer's with benefit to them. With dietary yes. approaches and yes, mm-hmm. and the sooner the better. Okay, of course. <laughs> yes, but I, I mean, I've had patients that were very serious, uh, in stage almost, uh, and actually were in stage and have gotten their function back. Not everybody, but mm-hmm. uh, I have a few that actually one guy got his driver's license back. <laughs> That's, That's almost unheard of. <laughs> Well, what about autoimmune disorders? Uh, you know, there's such a prevalence now of autoimmunity. Uh, what do you see in balanced in terms of the, the lipids in autoimmunity? That is a real interesting one and related to fats. Because in the icosanoid cascade, which I think all of us in healthcare should really delve in and learn that cascade and every aspect that's known currently is as those two essential fatty acids flow down and convert into the omega-6 metabolites and the omega-3 metabolites, they then go and form little hormone-like molecules called prostaglandins. Mm -hmm. And right now in the United States and industrialized communities, populations, It is considered that we have better hygiene, we have better sanitation, so we don't challenge our body a lot with infection, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we end up, and the way we eat, we're really pushing the production of two of the prostaglandins, prostaglandin 2 and prostaglandin 3. And that is the big focus. If you look at the research, the literature, they almost like, uh, prostaglandin one doesn't, isn't even important. <laughs> but it is super important because it is the one, if you don't produce that, you are not going to be able to control, if you have an autoimmune tendency, and mostly it's genetic, but you can develop much more severe autoimmune disease if you are not producing that prostaglandin one. And also, it's interesting that viruses are more controlled with the prostaglandin one. So we see, you know, a lot of people, HPV, um, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of things. Are we have some serious uh, viral infections? And you know, besides, even before we knew about COVID, uh, we had serious viral infections that some people don't really have them. The in the constitution to take care of. Mm-hmm. And if they had more prostaglandin one, it probably, the thought is it would suppress the severity of an infection. 
So if you back up and look at those uh, essential fatty acids, are they imbalanced? Are they tilted one way or the other in particular? You mean in disease? Uh, Yes. Yes, they might. What I find most when I'm looking at a patient and assessing them is they may have a lot of omega-6 derivative oils Uh that are damaged, but they don't have the, the beautiful essential. And probably the main one is gamma-linoleic. Mm-hmm. And for instance, I had a little baby come in six months old. Is this okay to tell this case? Yes, of course. But this mom, she was vegan. She was also type 1 diabetic. So she was a little bit unstable in her blood sugar. And she has a baby. She's nursing for about three months. But it was it was so hard for her to control her blood sugar that she went to a homemade formula mm-hmm. and in that homemade formula she got the fish oil you know that's pretty mm-hmm. popular and other things nutrients but she was missing linoleic acid oh, interesting and you know we don't want too many omega-6s yeah and so that baby uh, came in rash everywhere red interesting oh it was terrible and and then the doctor gave the first vaccine. Oh. She actually went to the hospital. Yeah. Her skin was in such bad shape, exuding serum, you know. Uh-huh. And so I, all I did was look at the formula of that homemade baby formula and added in some linoleic acid from a cold-pressed, nitrogen-packed safflower oil. Okay. And that baby within two weeks was starting to heal. Okay. But that can kind of give you an idea how powerful these essential fatty acids are. They are so powerful. If they're missing. Now, there's another situation that you may have enough linoleic, but you are not converting it on down its cascade to gamma linoleic. Mm-hmm. And what can happen there is maybe you're missing some of the nutrients like B6, like uh, uh, B12. And, but if you are a metabolic syndrome person and have mm-hmm. high insulin, you're mm-hmm. actually, that is shutting down that conversion. Oh boy, so, this is really fabulous. Yeah, well, really. I, I could talk to you for hours because every I just learn so much from you every time. But I want to be respectful to you and Steve because I know you have other things to do <laughs> today. So thank you so much. And um, I, I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yes, thank you so much. It was really a joy to be on your podcast. Thank you, Diana, for joining us on the Art and Soul of Healing. And a special shout out to the Alliance for Natural Health USA for standing in the gap for our health freedoms. Take a look at their website and become a member today.